Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Wasn't that communion bread tasty? Delicious, huh? Yeah. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jeremy. Uh, I've had the joy of knowing Pastor Roger for a really, really long time. I've known Pastor Nick for quite some time, Stephen, uh, for a while as well. And I just want to say this before I get started. Uh, you guys have been blessed with great leadership here at Matthew's Table. Like, uh, I love these guys. They love Jesus. Uh, they love you. Um, don't, take your, don't take your pastors uh, for granted, all right? I don't want to waste any time. Let's jump into God's Word together. If you have a Bible or device with a Bible app on it, uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to be picking up in verse 12 uh, this morning where Pastor Nick left off last week in, in verse 11. If you are new or newer to the Bible, you're going to find Galatians over in the New Testament. Find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Boom, there's Galatians. If you hit Ephesians or Philippians, back up. You went too far, okay? Um, Galatians 4, verse 12, I hope you found it. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, brothers, brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, and you make much of them. But it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. And the church said amen. So maybe for the benefit of some of you guys that are just jumping in with us this morning or by way of review, Pastors Nick and Pastor Roger, for the last few weeks, Pastor Nick has been walking us through the book of Galatians week by week. And I want to give you just an overview to kind of set the stage where we pick up in chapter 4, verse 12 this morning. The Holy Spirit has breathed upon the Apostle Paul to write these letters, not to a single church, but to four different churches uh, spread around the, the region uh, of Galatia. And the reason for his writing to them is this, that these, these baby churches, these infant churches uh, that Paul planted on his second missionary journey, he leaves them, and shortly after he leaves, these false teachers infiltrate the church, and they begin to preach a different gospel. And here's the different gospel that they preach. That yes, salvation is found in Jesus Christ, but you got to add something to Jesus. And in this particular instance, these were, these were zealous, uh, overzealous Jews. And they were saying, yes, we have to have faith in Jesus Christ. But if you're a male, you also got to be circumcised. And you also got to keep the feast and the festival. And there's certain dietary restrictions uh, that you have to keep also. Acts chapter 20 calls these men ravenous wolves that would not spare the flock. Because what they're doing is they are discrediting and they are distorting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is that we're saved by grace through faith alone. Amen. But 
they come in and they infiltrate the church, preaching this false gospel, saying that it's Jesus plus something. And you've heard this week after week after week, and the Holy Spirit, through the repetition of the book of Galatians, continues to beat this drum over and over and over and over. And it says to us this morning, no, 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 Jesus plus something equals nothing, whereas Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that we are saved, that we come into right relationship with a holy God. Listen, guys, that this, is the, this is the thesis statement of Galatians right here. That we are saved only by God's mind-blowing, sovereign grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And I want to challenge you this morning, church, don't ever get over that truth. Don't ever mature past that. Don't grow past that. Don't grow numb to this fact that we were sinners happily sinning our way into hell. And in mercy, we will never understand this side of glory. God saw fit to send Jesus and intervene in our lives. And every one of us sitting here this morning, we're not here because we're great people. We're not here because we're smarter than our neighbor. We're not here because we somehow drummed up some spiritual awakening. We are sitting here this morning as trophies of God's sovereign grace in our lives. So right on the heels of verse 11, where Pastor Nick dropped us off last week, where the Apostle Paul has expressed what I think is genuine fear that all of his work among the Galatians, all of his preaching and his teaching and his discipling that he'd done among these churches during his first journey was in vain. Right on the heels of that, look at verse 12. It says, brothers, brothers and sisters, I entreat you. It's not a word we use a lot. We, I plead with you. I'm begging you. Become as I am because I've become as you are. Well, Jeremy, what, what does that mean for us to really grasp what the Spirit's trying to teach us there? we got to remember who is saying this, that this is the Apostle Paul. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, as I'm sure Nick and Roger have told you many times, he was a Jew. In fact, I, I would call him a super Jew, if you would. <laughs> if you read in Philippians chapter 3, there were apparently there were some in that church that were in danger of doing the same thing the Galatians were. In Philippians 3, Paul's about to drop a, a gospel bomb on them. And some of these people are kind of lauding their own merits and their own self-righteousness and their own goodness. Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. If any of you think you have reason for, to use his language for confidence in the flesh, if any of you think that you're really good, if any of you think that you're good at keeping rules, and if any of you think that you're good at keeping this law, he's like, I was better. If you're taking notes, jot down Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. In those verses, Paul basically says this. He says, I excelled in Judaism. I was a Jew among Jews. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. I was an Israelite. I was circumcised on the eighth day as the law commands. I was of the, uh, that I have, as to the law of God, I was a Pharisee, meaning I was a scholar and a, a practitioner. I knew it inside and out. I dotted all the I's. I crossed all the T's. As to zeal for Judaism, I was a persecutor of Christ's church. And he goes on so, so far to say, is under the law, I was blameless. But then listen, when this same man met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, everything changed. 
he was completely undone in a really good way. Do, do you remember when Jesus saved you and kind of undone you or undid you in a good way, right? That you see yourself really for who you are and where you're going and you see the beauty and the hope and the help that is only found in Jesus. When, when Paul uh, was confronted by the, the resurrected and ascended Christ in Acts chapter 9, one glimpse of the true Jesus changed everything. One look into those eyes of love and he saw the goodness and the holiness and the righteousness and the beauty and the justice of Christ it wrecked him and all of his religious doing all of his good works all of his self-righteousness just kind of melted into a puddle and in that moment maybe you've experienced this in that moment he saw himself in desperate need of something that he could not self-produce and that's why he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3 that all that religious stuff all the good works, all the self-righteousness. He says, whatever gain I had, I love this, I count it as all loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse 12, the first verse of our text this morning, the, 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 the Spirit is calling the Galatian church and really calling us too through the living act and word back to Christianity 101. Paul's just reminding them, hey, guys, be like me, an individual who abandoned self-righteousness in, in an attempt to save myself and goodness and works and simply run to Jesus. Because by God's grace, I've become like you Gentiles who weren't even given the law to start with. That's, that's what we learn here in verse 12. I don't know about you, but often when I read the Scriptures, I, I wish I could hear the, the author's voice or be across a table from them to really get, get, the, get the, 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 full, the full impact of what's being said. Have you, have you ever gotten an email or a text or somebody comment on something in social media and you completely misinter misinterpreted what the other individual was trying to say? Because right? you didn't get to hear the tone of their voice. You didn't get to see the body language. That's bit me in the butt more than once. Responding to people thinking I knew what was going on. It really didn't. But, but I, I think here in, in, this, in this text, if we could sit down with the apostle, he's not super laid back at this point. He's, he's a little perturbed. He's a little frustrated. In fact, verse 20, how our text ends this morning, he says, Hey, I wish I was right there with you so you could hear my voice, so you could hear my tone, because I'm perplexed about you. If you remember in the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, he's already told the Galatians, I am shocked that you're turning away from the true gospel and trying to embrace works. And in chapter 3, he called them fools. Paul is simply blown away. He doesn't have a category for somebody that would turn from the true gospel, that we are saved by God's lavish grace through faith and not ourselves. That's Ephesians chapter 2, right? And trade that for trying to work out our own salvation. The apostle Paul knew firsthand the fatigue, the frustration, the feelings of perpetual failure that come with trying to earn God's love. And it's as if he's screaming to the Galatians. And through God's word this morning, Matthew's table, he's, he's screaming at us. 
And he's basically telling us to stop all the trying and start trusting the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. You've heard it said many times and many ways over the last few months walking through this, but, but I'll say it again. The gospel church does not say, do more, try harder. That's not good news. The gospel says it's finished in the sinless life, in the substitutionary death, in the burial, in the resurrection of Jesus. That is the message of Galatians. That is the gospel. And over these last few weeks, I've, I've heard Pastor Nick and Pastor Roger basically in their introductions basically say, well, we're, we're going to say the same thing again this morning, just a different way. Have you picked up on that? There's a reoccurring theme in the book of Galatians. We've heard the same thing week in and week out, week in and week out. But can I tell you or, or, or maybe confess to you, sometimes I need to be worn down by the truth, Right? Sometimes I don't get it the first pass or the second or the 20th. And I think that's what the Spirit's doing. He's wearing us down with this truth that we are hopeless and helpless apart from the grace of God Almighty. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers of the church, early 1500s, was criticized by one of his parishioners once. And one of them said to him, Pastor, like, why do you preach the gospel, the simple gospel to us week after week? And his response was beautiful. He says, because you forget the gospel week after week after week after week. And every one of us are prone to do the same, to forget that we are saved, not by our good works, not by our religiosity, not by our service, not by our fill in the blank with whatever that might be, that we are saved by God's otherworldly loving grace, plus or minus nothing. This morning, early, early, um, I wrote this in my notes and just felt compelled to say this. I, I know many of you in this room, but I, and I know some of the things some of you are going through, but the majority of you all here this morning I do not know, but I want to encourage you with this, that there are numerous Christians, and I believe unbelievers in this room, that it took everything you had to get yourself to church today. Uh, anybody kind of drug themselves in here today, feeling somewhat defeated, somewhat exhausted, and you really don't know why, you, you can't put your finger on it, why you just feel so Kind of hard to explain, right? And I just want to say to you, and I'm preaching to myself right now, we, we forgot the gospel this week. We've, we've bought the devil's lies, and we've given ourselves to relentlessly beating our ever-loving brains out, trying to be good, to be religious, to start doing these good things and stop doing these bad things, to get our stuff together, like, like somehow uh, our, our working is going to capture the attention or the affections of God. And I believe Jesus Christ through his spirit is standing before this church this morning with his arms open wide. And he's basically saying what he said in Matthew 10. Come unto me, all of you who labor, and I will give you rest. Is there anybody tired here this morning? Tired of trying to be good enough and trying to start or stop. And Jesus says, just come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your minds. I'll give you rest for your bodies. I'll give you rest for your souls. If we will but abandon our self-righteousness and run to Christ. How does rest sound this morning? That's why the gospel, that's why it's called good news. 
Let's move along or we're going to be here all day, aren't we? Verse 12, let's read 12 through 15. Somebody got a Bible I can borrow? I just tore these pages out of my Bible. It ripped in half. Someone got one handy? Thank you. Thanks, bro. Whoa, microprint. <laughs> you got good eyes, bro. That's right. Why are you in Philippians? My gosh. He was, all right. Galatians chapter 4. Let's look at verses 12. Okay, here it is. Thank you. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also became like you. You've not wronged me. You know that I previously preached the gospel to you because of weakness of the flesh. ESV says bodily ailment there. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ himself. Now, we'll keep your Bible. Is that all right? This, this isn't the main point of the passage, uh, because Jesus is the main point of every passage, right? From Genesis to Revelation, everything is pointing to, highlighting, or pointing back to Jesus, but the there's a couple big truths here that challenged me, encouraged me this week. I, I don't want us to miss. Did you, did you catch what Paul said in these four verses? He, he's appealing now a, a different way of calling the Galatians back to faithfulness. It's, it's cool what he's doing here. In these verses, in, in verse 15, he's asking them, hey, think back to when I was with you the first time. He said, what happened to the blessing that you felt? That word there in the Greek means exuberance, happiness, contentment, joy, freedom. Think about how you felt when I preached the gospel of grace to you the first time and you received that. He said, think about the way you received me. Verse 14 said that you were saving me like an angel of God, like, like it was Christ himself preaching this good news to you. But did you notice verses 13 and 14? He basically says that the reason that you guys got the gospel in the first place, the reason I preached in Galatia, the Galatian churches wasn't on the itinerary for his second missionary journey. He said the, the reason you got the gospel is I got really, really sick, bodily ailment. And I don't think we're talking about the man flu here, guys. Like, he didn't just have the sniffles, right? He didn't just stub his toe. Like, he was dead dog sick. There was something afflicting him, ailing him, that, that, that inhibited him from continuing to travel. Therefore, he pitched a tent in Galatia. You might be thinking, Jeremy, why, why is that important? Well, we'll get there. The Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what this bodily ailment or this affliction was that made Paul stop dead in his tracks amidst his missionary journey. Some, some theologians, some scholars would look at, at Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, when it says that when I first came, you were so stoked about the gospel, and you were so good to me, and so kind to me, and you received this message of grace with such joy and excitement that you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me if possible. 
Some Bible scholars would take that verse. They would combine it with, with Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul says, I want you to look at the large letters that I'm using to write this. And they would make the argument that he was having some kind of vision trouble that, that prevented him from continuing to travel. Other scholars believe that if you actually look at his missionary journey, he'd been up in the jungle and that he contracted malaria. And as he came down to the more humid coastal regions, that it was affecting his breathing. We, we don't know exactly what had got him down. We don't have to know. But this we, ha- we do know is that the dude was so sick that he had to stop doing what he thought uh, was good and right and best. And let me say two things about that very quickly. I want us to stop and consider just for a second what we read and who it is. The who here is important. The who that we just read has this deathly illness, this bodily ailment. This is none other than the Apostle Paul. I mentioned it earlier. This is the only of the apostles that had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus post-resurrection and ascension. Perhaps the world's greatest preacher, teacher, theologian, right? Missionary, church planter, a hero of the faith. Could we, could we agree? The, the man whom the Holy Spirit commissioned to write more words in our Bible than any other author. A, a martyr for Christ who literally loses his head in Rome in 65 AD for faithfully preaching Christ and Him crucified. That's the same dude that we, are, that we see here in Galatians chapter 4 that he's so sick he can't continue traveling. Some of you guys are like, okay, Jeremy, so what? Point number one, anybody that tells you that you come to Jesus and your life is going to get really fantastic really fast is three things. They are biblically illiterate. Two, they are a liar. I'll throw this one in. Three, they probably want your money and you need to run from them. Why do I say that? Because we know from the study of Scripture that humanly speaking, Paul's life was a lot easier before Jesus wrecked him on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. As, as a Pharisee, if you just know, know, know the history of that, okay, he would have had power, prestige, probably wealth. Paul's presence in Acts chapter 7 at Stephen Stoning, standing there holds, holding the coats of those that, that, that killed Stephen, Deacon Stephen, suggests that he was living the Jewish dream and all was well. But look at Paul's, I, I challenge you, study the New Testament and look at the Apostle Paul's life after he committed to love and follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, I'm sure you've heard of this. We read of Paul's new thorn in the flesh, Right? That he pled with the Lord multiple times to remove that? Did God see fit to remove it? Yes or no? No. If you, if you read Acts, Acts chapters 10 through 28, which I'm sure you guys know this, this is our New Testament history book. But if you read Paul's life, actually the middle of chapter 9 all the way through chapter 28, uh, it chronicles all the things that he went through. Everywhere he went, somebody was trying to kill the dude, right? He gives us a synopsis of his life in Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 you want to know what Paul's life looked like after coming to Jesus these are his words frequent journeys 
Danger from rivers and danger from robbers. Dangers from both Jew and Gentiles. Danger in the city and danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea and danger from false brothers. I endured toil and hardship and sleeplessness and hunger and thirst. I was exposed to the cold. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten, stoned, chased, adrift at sea, naked. Listen to me, guys. Sorry, Joel Olstein. That doesn't sound like our best life now. And if the life of Paul is not convincing enough to you that we do not come to Jesus for health and wealth and prosperity, I would encourage you to read the four Gospels and look at the life of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. He said that the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless, broke, eventually hated and crucified by his own. Hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, the Holy Spirit breathed upon Isaiah to talk about this Messiah to come. And you know how he was described? As a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, a friend of suffering and sadness is our beloved Jesus. Listen to me. Jeremy, why are you taking the time to say this? We need to be reminded of this, that Christ is the greatest treasure and that we don't come to Jesus for health and wealth and prosperity. We come to Jesus for Jesus. We don't, we don't come to Jesus. Listen, guys, we don't come to Jesus for sobriety. We come to Jesus for Jesus. We don't come to Jesus uh, for a raise or for a job. We come to Jesus for Jesus. We don't come to Jesus to fix relationships or our marriage. We come to him for Jesus. We don't come to Jesus to heal us from our sickness or our sadness. We come to Jesus for Jesus. We don't come for temporal comforts. We come to Christ for Christ. Why? Because sobriety and jobs and money and healthy marriages and family and friends and all of those things that are good, listen, they're good and all, but Jesus is better. You've heard your pastor say that over and over, but it bears with me. Jesus is better. Any good thing that we experience in this life, church, it's but a shadow of Christ who is the fulfillment and the perfection of all joy and life and peace and comfort. It's only found in Him. Only Jesus truly satisfies. We get these satisfactory uh, uh, words and descriptions of Christ in the Bible that he's the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the lover of our souls. He's the friend that lays down his life for us, that never leaves us, that never forsakes us. He's the great treasure. He's the pearl of greatest price. He Be reminded, church, that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that is the source of joy and life and peace. And here's what hit me this week. Sometimes we don't really believe that. Until all those other things leave us longing. That we try everything else and we run to everything else for, for our life, for our identity, for our joy, for our comfort, for our value. And they continually leave us longing for only what can be found in Jesus. Hear this. Jesus is not some kind of Santa Claus or sugar daddy that is obligated to fulfill your wish list. And that's a message that's preached Right? Come to Jesus and cancer's got to go. The Bible doesn't teach us that. 
Come to Jesus and, and you get the car or you get the house or you get the girl or fill in the blank with whatever. The Scripture does not teach us that. No, Jesus doesn't just promise to make us healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in this life. No, Jesus promised and taught us that he's the sinless son of God. He is the creator God. He is the king and the Lord that came to live and die and rise that we might have eternal life. He never promised us that we would not suffer, church. In fact, he said the exact opposite. You remember that? In this world, you will, you will, not might, not maybe, you will have trouble. But here's the good news. He promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to suffer, if I'm going to have trouble, give me Jesus in the midst of trouble every day and twice on Sunday, right? people of God, the people of God have historically been a suffering people. And again, I don't know all of you. Some of you I do. But I just want to ask you, are you going through something right now? If so, you're in good company. Many of the saints before you experienced that. The Apostle Paul experienced that. Jesus experienced that. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 describes him as, a, as our suffering, sympathetic high priest that you can go to to get all that you need. Run to Christ and experience his presence and his power and his provision in a way that you could not in a way if everything was fine and dandy. Have you ever thought about that? Like the 23rd Psalm, I'm sure every one of us in here have heard that at some point. We hear it at funerals all the time. The Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Could it be, could it be that the, the good shepherd that knows better than we do has brought you to a, a low place, a place of suffering, and that he's making you lie down right now? Secondly, this week is... I prayed and prepared. I was really convicted by the apostles' faithfulness to Jesus and the mission like while he was suffering. Did you see that in verses 12 through 15? The, the Spirit is very careful to teach us that it was, it was while Paul was deathly ill, while he was battling this bodily ailment that he couldn't travel. It was in that condition, not when he was healthy and perfect and on his A game, but it was in that, in his deep suffering that kept him from traveling, that he preached. And he apparently saw people saved and discipled and churches were planted and the kingdom of God was expanded. And as I was sitting uh, in my shed on Tuesday, and yes, when you've got eight kids still at home, you go to your shed to do sermon preparation sitting out there on, on my lawnmower. And it was as if the Spirit just whispered to me and said, like, Jeremy, what are you doing while you suffer? And, and I feel like there's enough of us in this room. Law of Numbers says there's some suffering people under the sound of my voice right now. I would just want to pose that same question to you. Well, what are you doing while you suffer in light of the, the testimony of Paul's faithfulness to us here in Galatians chapter 4? A lot of you know me. A lot of you don't give you 45 second overview. My last two years have been hell for a lack of better terms. Uh, started January 13th, 2019, coming up on two years. Broke my foot, my left foot. I had three 
major reconstructive surgeries on my foot, been on my back for weeks and weeks and weeks, months at a time, had a fourth smaller surgery. I've been hospitalized for kidney stones, multiple times for heart issues. In the last seven weeks, eight weeks, I buried an aunt, a step-grandmother that was a real grandmother to me for 25 years, and my dad buried four friends. First of September, I shockingly and unexpectedly lost my dream job that I've had for the last 10 years, and I could go on and on and on and on and on. And if I could just be really, really honest with you and transparent with you, I have not suffered well at times. I've done a lot of complaining. I've been given to anger and sadness and depression and a pity party. A lot of my prayers have sounded like this. God, won't you just throw me a bone here, man? <laughs> like enough's enough, right? And Tuesday, it was like God hit me in the face with a frying pan, and it was like, Jeremy, either I'm good or I'm not. Either I give and I take away or I don't. Either I'm a wise loving father that only does what's best for my kids or I don't. Either my kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven and I'm using you to that end or I don't. And it was like this, this, this awakening. It was like, I see it here that, that sometimes, sometimes I don't understand it. I don't have to like it. But sometimes in God's painful strange but kind providence he brings us to low places and it's not even about us it's about the kingdom and it's like we need we need to adjust we're going to have trials and troubles jesus told us that but adopting what we see so vividly here in galatians 4 is a missionary mindset our misery does not negate the mission and he's called us to go and to make disciples could it be just listen, could it be that whatever you're going through, that it's a means of grace to you and those around you that need to hear the good news of Jesus? Could it be that God has brought us to a place of lowliness or sadness or suffering? Listen, that we might encounter friends, and family, neighbors, kids, co-workers, doctors, counselors, therapist, someone that we would not encounter if everything were good, if we were happy, healthy, and wealthy. Could it be that God is up to some kingdom stuff, some big kingdom stuff in the midst of our suffering? See, I think that's, that's lacking in the church, a robust, healthy, biblical theology of suffering, right? Like we're going to suffer, and sometimes we suffer. Let me talk to Christians for just a second. If we possess the Holy Spirit of God, that if we're true believers, sometimes we suffer because God loves us and He disciplines us, right? You ever experienced that? That's Hebrews chapter 12. Make note of that. Sometimes we suffer because we're dumb and we make bad decisions. That's Galatians 6. You, you reap what you sow. So, so, dude, listen to me. You're messing with your neighbor's wife. He comes home and cuts you. You ain't suffering for Jesus. That's on you, bub. Right? That... I had a feeling y'all would like that one. That, hey, that's, that's Bible. Whatsoever a man sows, he also... Bingo. That's what we're talking But sometimes, sometimes we suffer 
simply because we live in a fallen world. And something, I don't think we've really grasped what happened in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, Paul talks about it in Rome. The whole cosmos fell when sin entered. And we are broken people living among other broken people in a broken universe. And I don't think God is some angry, uh, sadistic ogre in the sky that takes pleasure in the suffering of his children. But I do think he's so good and he's so sovereign that he sometimes allows that and puts us in places so that the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's part of a, a good understanding of our suffering. Verses 16 through 18 um, I don't want to read it all for the sake of time this morning. Verse 16, tell me, look down at your Bible or your phone or iPad or whatever. Tell me that's not a whole sermon in a single verse. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Woo! So here's what happened. Paul preaches, right? The, the Spirit of God awakens people to their sin, they, they placed their faith in Jesus. Apparently there was some discipleship that took place, some leadership development, some churches were planted. He leaves. These false teachers come in. The Galatian baby Christians, they, they buy the lie of this Jesus plus something gospel, which is no gospel at all, right? And, and, and they, they turn their backs on Paul. The dude that we just read, that when he came the first time, they were so excited about this gospel of grace and, and the joy and the freedom that they found in Christ. The same guy that they were willing to pluck their eyes out and give to him, probably in a 12 to 14 month window, they've turned their back on him. And they've abandoned this gospel that he has preached. Why? Because the Galatians, like us, if we were honest, like the idea of adding something to Christ alone, because it strokes our egos a little bit, does it not? When we add something to Jesus, it kind of puts the ball in our court a little bit. It makes salvation partly our doing. But Paul told them the truth, and in telling them the truth, he became an enemy of the Galatians. He told them, as John Owen so articulately put it, that we bring nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Chew on them apples. We bring nothing to our salvation except the sin that necessitated Jesus coming, living, dying, and rising from the grave. Yet in his absence, when Paul left, the Galatians abandoned the gospel of grace and turned to works, and they became his enemy. I want to say this to a relatively young church. I think you guys are three years in, three years in here at Matthew's Table. A lot of, I love it. A lot of new converts in this church. Listen to me. I love this. Say, okay, Jeremy, what do we do with this? Paul becoming an enemy to the Galatians. How is that good for me? How do we pass that through the funnel of 2 Timothy chapter 3 that tells us all Scripture is profitable for us, for good doctrine, to reprove us, to correct us? What do we do with that, Jeremy? Here's the, here's the application I think that God would have for this church. Hear this, Matthew's table. Bold, unapologetic proclamation of Christ is not going to win you any popularity contests. You want the masses, listen, to love you and to pat you on the back 
and give you high fives and hugs. Listen, steer clear of of believing and preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven. America is now what they call a post-Christian culture. We are those who place our faith in Jesus and do our best by the power of the Spirit to live according to God's Word. We are the gross minority in this country. You understand that? You want, you want to win popularity contests? Steer clear of believing that Jesus plus nothing is the only way that you will see heaven. We live in what is now called, listen, a postmodern relativistic culture, which means truth is a, a relative idea. There are no absolutes. There are no rights and wrongs. What's right for me might be wrong for you and vice versa. Hear this. Hear this. Where truth is relative and everyone is right, the message of Jesus alone is despised. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have. In this culture, in this community, you're free to talk about your faith all day long, and you won't ruffle any feathers in Owensboro, Kentucky. Let me take that a step farther. You can, you can be at the break table at work having lunch or, or your break or whatever. Most people don't even get too bent out of shape if you start talking about God. But when you unashamedly proclaim that Jesus is the only way, people will come out of the woodwork to oppose you. Be reminded. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, let me tell you what he didn't say first. Jesus did not say, I am a way. He didn't say, I'm a truth or a life. That's not what he said. He said, I am the, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus Christ preached in John 14, 6, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And it's still the answer for today. Listen, the all-inclusive, feel-good gospel of Oprah Winfrey that says that we're all on, on a journey of our own and there's a thousand paths to God here. That, that is a lie conceived in the pits of hell there aren't a thousand ways to get to God Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation in no one else and there is no other name given under heaven among by which men must be saved why? because Jesus Christ is the only true and living God <laughs> salvation is not found in the name of Muhammad because Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church is dead. L. Ron Hubbard of the Church of Scientology is dead. Father Abraham of the Jews is dead. Gandhi is dead. The Pope will die. I will die. You will die. But listen, mankind's hope for salvation, you hear that we need to be reminded of this every Lord's Day, not just on Easter, church. Our only hope rests on an empty tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem that Jesus walked out of 2,000 years ago. And in walking out, he has defeated the power of Satan, sin, and death. There is salvation in no one else for that reason. You believe that? You preach that? People will hate you. You'll be called narrow-minded. 
You'll be called a fool. You'll be called ignorant, archaic, naive, out of touch, dogmatic, unloving, unaccepting, on the wrong side of history. And that was just this week for me. I'm just... You, you want to make, en- like make enemies? Preach, teach, believe, take glory in, rejoice in the exclusivity of Jesus alone. Why is that gospel so despised? I alluded to it earlier, but this is true. Prideful, sinful men, we uh, men and women, we, we like our options and we simply don't like to be told what to do. Like something, something deep happened in all of us when sin entered the world. And I'll leave it to your pastors to tease this out. Like maybe walk through Romans 5 sometime. But we are hardwired for rebellion against God. Like this might bother some of you, but like we're not born okay. We're not born neutral. Like any of y'all that had children, did you have to teach them little boogers to, to lie, steal, cheat, bite? They, they, they would climb over your bloody dead body to get a cookie they wanted. You didn't have to teach them to do that. It's just in them, right? And that's sin, man. Sin manifests in a million, million different ways in rebellion against God. And then Jesus comes along and makes these dogmatic statements like Mark 1.15 doesn't leave us a lot of options when he looks us in the eye and says, repent and believe the gospel, period. Not if you feel like it, not if you want to, not if it fits your uh, political affiliation, fill in the blank with whatever there. Repent and believe the gospel. And listen, the true gospel of the scripture is an offensive gospel. Well, why do you say that, Jeremy? Well, actually, the, the, the Spirit moved on Peter to call it, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, the message of Christ in the cross. You know how he describes it? A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Why would, why would the gospel, this good news that we, that we love and we celebrate, like why would that be called a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense? Well, the, the true gospel trips a lot of people up. It's offensive to a lot of people because you know what it says? It says deep down we're really not good people. (laughs) It says that you're not okay. It says that you really can't do anything to save yourself or even prepare yourself for salvation. The stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, this gospel of the Scripture is really humbling and it strips us of our sense of entitlement and strips us of pride. And it says this, that we are everyone, all are sinners, hopeless and helpless, deserving of God's wrath and hell. And that is offensive to our pride, our self-esteem, and our sense of entitlement. But God being rich in mercy... God, being rich in mercy, sent His Son, and He lived, and He died, and He rose, and we can be saved if we just quit trying and trust the perfect work of Jesus Christ. That will make you some enemies, Matthew's table, but that's okay. You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, one of those other unpopular things that Jesus said, I think that would be a really cool sermon series. The unpopular sayings of Jesus. Like the ones you don't get on a coffee cup. Like Matthew 10. When's the last time you saw a coffee cup that said, I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Never seen that one at Cracker Barrel. Right? 
Like, what, what does that mean? What that means is the, the message of Christ in the cross, it's divisive. It's cutting. It separates people. And, and there's, there's been this kind of, this hippie Jesus propagated, you know, and his chacos and his pantene hair flowing. It's just peace and love, peace and love, peace. And, and, and then he says stuff like, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And, and through my life and death and resurrection, through the message of the cross and the, the message of salvation full and free by Jesus alone, that is going to separate. It's divisive. He came to bring a sword, not peace. And if we're going to be faithful lovers and followers of Jesus, I'll just say it this way. we got to be okay with everybody not being okay with us. Martin Luther, again, the great reformer, he said it best when he said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. You should write that down somewhere where you see that often. Peace if possible, that's Romans. As much as it depends on you, we're to live at peace with who? Everyone, right? Peace if possible, truth at all costs. But here's a warning. Here's a warning, young church. If we're going to make enemies in this city, let's be sure we're making enemies for the right reasons. We aren't called to make enemies and be divisive and offend over our preferences, over personal convictions, over political parties, over worship style, over dress for the gatherings, fill in the blank with whatever comes to your mind. God forbid that, that we as God's people as this church begin doing this very same thing that the Galatians are getting chastised for, and that's simply adding stuff to the perfect finished work. of Hey, let's not make following Jesus any harder than the Bible makes it, right? And I think a lot of times, well-meaning, we do that, and the Scripture's just calling us back to the simplicity of just trusting Jesus. If we're going to offend the world, let it be said that they were offended by the message of Christ and His cross and not the fact that we were self-righteous buttheads, Okay? Can I say butthead, Nick? Is that good? Good, good, because I already did. I'm not going to read verses 16 through 18, but here's a question I want to ask Matthew's table. Lots of introspection today, church. In verses 16 through 18, he basically says that these, these zealous Jews are coming in. They're winning converts to this different, distorted, perverted gospel that's no gospel at all. And basically, they're holding you up like trophies. They're wanting to make much of you. And the Spirit through Paul is like, man, that, that's not a good thing. But then he reminds them, but it is always a good thing to be made much of for the right reason. So there's the question. What will this city be thinking about and talking about when they talk about this church? The Spirit through Paul says in verse 18, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Will you be known? Here's the question. Will you be known? Matthew's table, as a people that, like the Galatians, got off track and added a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts and preferences and barriers to following Jesus, is that going to be you? Or by God's grace, will you be known as a family of faith, hear this, that has never gotten over the fact that you were a hopeless, helpless sinner and an otherworldly, eternal, unconditional love. Jesus sought you out and he rescued you 
and he saved you and he adopted you and brought you into his family and seated you at his table and you want everybody in this stinking city to hear the jaw-dropping gospel of grace and you realize that you're sitting here this morning not because we're good, because we're smart, because we earned it or we deserved it, but we are trophies of God's sovereign grace. For, for what reason, for what reason will you be made much of? Let's look at verse 19. We're done. Verse 19. Let's read 18 and 19 together. Maurice, you can have your Bible back, bro. I didn't rip this page out. Thanks. 18 and 19. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am with you. Listen to this. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I think it's kind of funny, but I think it's kind of cool. Do, do you sense in verse 19 Paul's fatherly affection for these confused, wayward Christians that have gotten off track? Now, he's gotten on them, right? He's called them fools. He said, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm perplexed. He's not pulling any punches. But at the end of the day, he's still referring to the Galatian Christians as, as, his, as his little children, right? And he's an angst. He, he's troubled in his spirit, and I believe even in his body, that he's in pain over their immaturity. And then he gives us this. It's a, we don't even need an illustration. He gives us a vivid illustration of a woman in labor. And the pain that she endures as she's bringing her, her child into the world. And what we see here in verse 19 is just like the woman who endures pain as she awaits the birth of her child. The Galatian spiritual father, in a real sense, Paul here, is in pain over the immature spiritual condition of his little children. But that truth of 19 begs a question. What is it exactly that Paul wanted to see that would give him confidence that, that, these, that these baby Christians were growing in grace, that they were growing in their knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? What did he want to see? Did he want to hear reports that they'd read more books or listened to more sermons or given more money or served in the nursery? Because you're really godly if you do that, right? That they learn more theology wear more Christian T-shirts and listen to more Christian radio? Is, is that what he was longing to see? No, 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 no. Don't miss this. If you underline things or you highlight things in your Bible, get this phrase in verse 19. The apostle's deepest desire is that the people of God, the church, verse 19, have Christ formed in them. Before, before you think that's a isolated idea, read Ephesians chapter 1. Paul said to the Ephesians, I desire to present you holy and blameless. Read what he said to the Colossian Christians in Colossians chapter 1, right out of the gates. I want to present you mature in Christ. Here in Galatians chapter 4, the end game, the goal, the thing for which he was travailing like a woman in labor and was scared, verse 11, that it really wasn't going to happen, is that Christ be formed in the Galatian Christians. say this, we aren't called to be and to make converts. We are called to be and to make disciples. And there's a difference. 
There's a difference. There's a difference. That's Matthew 28, right? Go, did he tell us, go and make converts? No, no, no. What did he tell us to do? Go and make what? Disciples. And we baptize them. And we teach them. That's having Christ formed in them. Conversion isn't the end goal. Conformity to the image of Christ is the end goal. That's Romans chapter 8. You want some deep theology, Romans chapter 8. We were predestined. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. Why? To be conformed to the image of Christ. That's Romans chapter 8. That's having Christ formed in us. And if the Spirit has awakened you to see your sin and hate it and turn from it and trust wholly and only in the perfect work of Jesus, in His life, death, burial, and resurrection, you are as saved as you will ever be. And I'm thankful that Pastor Nick last Sunday reminded us that Jesus saves completely and He doesn't lose any of His kids. That's good news. That's John 6. That's, that's John 10. All that the Father gives me will come to me and I will lose none of them. I'll raise them up the last day. Listen, you're saved as you'll ever be. But our having Christ formed in us, that's a journey. And we've not just been called from death to life for life's sake. We've been called from life to death into a life of discipleship. And that's why Paul is agonizing in this text. He's, he's longing to see these new Christians become mature in Christ. He's longing to see them unwaveringly convinced and committed to the true gospel. He's, he's convinced and he is committed to seeing them begin to love like Jesus, to look like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, that the spirit of Jesus and the love and the life of Jesus be made manifest in them. And guess what? same spirit that prompted Paul to want that for the Galatians is the same spirit that is among us today, and he longs for that in this church. Can I say something very pointed to you? I trust, hope, and pray that you are not here this morning basing your salvation simply on your sobriety. I have staunch atheist friends who are sober. I hope that you're not here putting all your eggs in the basket of a prayer that you prayed at VBS in 1987. I have rather devout Muslim friends who pray more than I do some days. I hope you're not here basing your salvation on baptism or serving or giving or the fact that you might be sitting here this morning. You want the real litmus test for our, for our salvation? Here's the question. Is Christ being formed in you? Are you increasingly, by the Spirit of God that's in you, are, are you growing in grace? Are you growing to increase? Not perfect, right? We're not, we're not perfect till, till we see Jesus face to face. But are you growing in your love for the things that God loves? And the flip side of that, are you growing to hate the things that God hates? Are you growing to love Christ and His Word and His people and His mission? That's having Christ formed in us. I'll end with this thought if Brandy and the worship team want to join me. Here's a thought for you guys to chew on as we leave. 
Christ being formed in us. I believe the scripture gives us this precedent that it's best done in community. It's done in the context of other believing brothers and sisters in our lives. Yes, hear me, that we have Christ formed in us when we put in the work of praying and spending time on our face before the Lord. We, we are conformed to the image of Christ as we meet with God in His Word. That Christ, in a, in a real way, I believe, is, is formed in us in a unique way when we push the plate back regularly and we say, Lord, I, I need you, and I need your power, and I need your presence, and I need your spirit. I need your grace in my life more than I need tacos right now, right? And now I want tacos that fast. See, uh, uh, like we are conformed to the image of Jesus, right, in our personal devotion. But we desperately need brothers and sisters who love God and love us enough to continually point us to Christ. I believe the Bible is clear that Christian community is God's plan for our conformity to the image of Jesus. That's the reason Hebrews chapter 10, we're told, hey, don't neglect getting together with the church. Don't neglect gathering because in doing so, we stir one another up to love and good works. And we encourage one another all the more as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. I don't know about you all, but my heart is prone to wander in a million different directions. Right? There's a million things every week that are vying for our affections and our attention. And we need people around us that love us enough that, that we know them and they know us and they see where we're going and they love us enough to get us by the collar and say, Jesus is better. That thing that you're doing, that place that you're going, that direction that you're going, that Proverbs, that way seems right to you, but the end is death. Jesus is better. We see it over and over in God's Word. We need people to remind us of that, that Jesus is better, His ways are better, His word is better. And I'll leave you with this. This is a good step towards that. But real conformity to the image of Christ, having Christ formed in us, it just isn't done on Sunday mornings. It, it's best done in the context of, of, a, of a small church. I'll just say it. I don't know if you've got enough leaders or not, Nick. Get in a small church, Right? If you're not in a D group, get in a D group. Get in somewhat of a personal mentoring, mentee relationship with another brother or sister or two or three where you're known and you know them and you challenge one another and you love one another and that you, that you find yourself with the same angst in your heart that, that I'm loving my brother here so much that I would weep over him, that I want to see Christ formed in him. So before we sing, we ask ourselves, in light of this text, how is God calling his people to respond? And uh, four things come to my mind, and I just encourage you to respond however the Lord is leading you. Maybe it's a new commitment to the gospel of grace. And if you're a Christian, let's just pray for grace this week that we be reminded through God's word, through other brothers, through, that we, our eyes are solely fixed on Jesus this week, that he's the prize, that he's the treasure, that we're saved by, by faith in him alone. Or maybe you're here today and, and you don't know this Jesus that I've been talking about for the last 45 minutes. He would say to you, come unto me, all of you labor, and I'll give you rest. 
I'll give you rest for your, the fatigue of trying to be good enough or earn your salvation. I'll give you rest for, for whatever you need, body, soul, mind. Find Pastor Nick, Pastor Roger, Pastor Stephen, somebody. They'd love to open God's Word and show you what it looks like to love and to follow Jesus. Secondly, maybe, I don't know about you, this is the one that hit me. God, give me grace to be faithful and content wherever you have me right now. In a hard spot, in a valley, in a fire, in a flood, remind me that you're an ever-present help. In a time of trouble, God, give your people a missionary mindset. Maybe you brought me to this place, and, and it's not even about me. It's about your kingdom. Maybe we need to pray that God would give us grace to grow in comfort with being okay, with not everybody being okay. And lastly, pray for grace to see Christ formed in us, whatever that may look like. Let's take a moment, reflect, pray, respond as you see fit. Our sister's going to lead us in song. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.